moment, I work with an organization called Meld Studios. And essentially, we work as consultants using methodologies that come from design. And um, the, the work that we do tends to be in around organizations and the kind of change that organizations can bring to the world. And so that means we do a lot of government kind of work, but we also do a lot of sort of private sector work and all of that stuff in between because everyone's needing to deal with change at the moment. Change is so hot right now. <laughs> and so the, you're um, in a time of change, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So there's that, all of that, et cetera. Now you are doing this, you're doing this out of Melbourne. Yeah. So I'm in, in Melbourne, Australia, um, where, Meld is across, you know, it started in Sydney. I helped them start up a Melbourne studio about six years ago. Um, we now have studios in Canberra and Perth as well. And we've done quite a lot of work in Brisbane. Yeah. And, you know, what is geography these days anyway? <laughs> so, so there's a lot of that. So the, there's, there's that work there. And I suppose to me, what would be interesting, Gigi, is to understand what is it that really interested you? What is it the thing that kind of made it, oh, this is interesting for you? <laughs> why do I want to talk with you and why do I think you're so cool? Um, because in many ways, a lot of the people who we've had on this show are people who take one lens and bring it to another space. And you very much have a, a creativity background in design. You have a... Um, uh, education background and working in this and higher education. And a lot of people don't necessarily take those two lenses and then take that to organizational change and then keep creating. We're going to share and, and uh, for people who are listening to the podcast versus seeing this on YouTube, we'll share this in the show notes. Even in the way you describe the journey you've been on, it was, is a piece of art that you think, Think differently. Right. Well, yeah. Okay. Thanks. And so if I can just from, take us back to the moment, what was it like about two weeks ago when we met? <laughs> Time is wonky now, but absolutely. And and it struck me that we had a lot in common there. So I, I definitely felt the same thing that you had, I think, around the, that there's a lot in common here. It's kind of like I'd, I'd known you for a long time because we'd kind of. Or that you're my, my digital twin in another <laughs> continent yeah cool and and um and the <laughs> because there's a lot of spaces of kind of inquiry and a lot of spaces of um sort of interest that we've been swimming in yeah um that mm -hmm. and we've had a, a, about you know kind of enough time to sort of bring a, a range of career experiences to these as well so are you saying that we're not young I'm, people i'm well i can't that be that was not where you were going we're or both, you were saying that in a different way. we're both young way. people. Um, we're both young people. Yeah, we're just, we're just, we've also <laughs> had experience, yeah. Um, like I, I turned 50 Experiences. last year in the middle of the pandemic and didn't get to have a 50th birthday yet. But I'm deciding that this year will be, I can just have birthdays all, all every month or something. Um, anyway. When you were young, were you an artist first? Were you a someone who took things apart were you somebody who tried to fix people? I mean, so what was the lens on the world that you kind of came to when you were more like a high school kid? Yeah, this, I love that. Um, okay. 
in the way you framed that, what it's made me realize is that um, I definitely was, I took things apart and loved to fix things and things like that. But I didn't think that people were in any of the, in scope. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so to me, like early on, you know, lots of, lots of visual stuff, never stopped drawing. You know how there's that big cliff that people fall off with drawing? Like they kind of, every kid is amazing at drawing. And then somehow by the time we get to high school, no one draws. Um, I was lucky enough to kind of, I spent a couple of years like living with grandparents or things like that, where I had quite a lot of time to myself. And so I would draw insane amounts in there. And so that just never left me. And so for me, and the, the object that you're talking about there and the thing that I sent you, which is like a visualization mm -hmm, of my history, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. honestly, I hadn't had a look at it at that scale before we were going to have this chat. And so it kind of gave me a way to think about it. And, and to me, I need to draw those things in order to kind of understand how they work together, which comes back to your question, I think, about sort of what was I like back then. Um, I think it, to me, I was a lot like what I am now, um, except I, I kind of probably wasn't as interested in listening to other people and and learning from other people's experiences so uh for me i always had to do things myself or kind of experience it myself before i got it and and i can remember telling myself that quite a lot and believing that that was true which now is almost quite shocking um anyway so yeah but you know lots of visual stuff um i moved on into i studied architecture from as my first sort of degree um but I messed around in school too much, so I didn't actually get into the course and I had to kind of come in through this sort of circuitous route that meant, again, I was in this smaller group of, of students doing a bridging course over a summer where there were just four of us with this one architecture, I'll use the American kind of terms, professor there, who would kind of just hang with us all day. So we got this really intense pressure cooked kind of one year into, you know, two months kind of thing. And the thing that seems to thread a lot of it together is that there's a, there's a moving on between things that often don't seem connected, but in fact, they're always connected because it's you that's moving through them. Yeah. And so that's, that's what I find with a lot of the, if I think back to a lot of the ways that I've approached creating the me that is now um mm -hmm. is that yeah it's it's a lot of it's just been a lot of jumps off you know the edge of a cliff or something that you're not quite sure what's over there but fairly confident that i can deal with that so let's give it a give it a crack and that's an interesting well, and it's interesting because that's a recurring theme in these conversations at this podcast but not everyone lives that way right not everyone says i'm going to now jump off a cliff and hope that the air is thick to catch me as I fall, or that I will build up new stilts to be able to walk out of it. And some people don't do that. So some people, it's very much of a step B needs to smell a lot like step A, and I need to see where I'm going. It might be a disaster, but I need to see where I'm going. And uh, a lot of people, though, don't look at the world that way, and they don't make personal choices that way. And 
I, I mean, I look at my own life. I think I've stepped off so many cliffs and I don't tend to think about that some people don't step up. And so for me, there's some really great work uh, by quite a few people in career research that it all makes sense backwards, that careers don't make sense forwards. Uh, Ermenia Ibarra's um, work on working identity is really great about sense-making careers backwards. But it, but we tend to make the decisions the same way, or we learn to not do that anymore from disasters. But you really have a lot of, of circuitous loops, which I really love. And so, um, so, and so some of it is that you take different puzzle pieces. And so one of them is that you, your, your master's work was on spatial information architecture. How, how did you get into that? And what the blue blazes is that? And how do you go from, I'm a person who makes things to I've gone to architecture and my only lens of architecture is my father was an architect and my sister and I always joke that we would have become architects if our father was not an architect because we saw the lifestyle that went with that but um and, and all of the frustration of houses and homes not built. oh and, of course and, 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 cobblers, and cobblers children built, have right? no shoes problem yeah 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 <laughs> so so how did you go from architecture to spatial information yeah. architecture um, Look, a lot of that, a lot of these leaps are leaps to things that emerge that look interesting, you know, so it's not necessarily me making the, making that leap. It's that the environment kind of provides the opportunity and, or a door opens. Yeah. Um, and so for spatial information architecture, that's a, a lab that had started up at RMIT, um, by a, a range of super interesting people. I mean, if you kind of dig back it down that rabbit hole, you get back to people who are doing work with Gaudi, you know, Gaudi's work on the Sagrada Familia um, and people who are now running, you know, like um, large engineering organizations through digital transformation. So there's a, a sort of a, a nexus there that occurred at, at a point in time when digital was sort of disrupting the traditional practices of architecture. And so a lot of practices sort of were smooshed together in this lab, um, the Spatial Information Architecture Lab at RMIT. And so I was just lucky enough to be sort of hanging around there. I decided to kind of begin on a master's or a postgraduate kind of research journey there, had some great people to help me and um, ended up working in that space but again it was it was kind of an extension of the previous work so it pulled on all of the audio and, and sort of sound practice that i had in the past because if we think about um architecture and sort of three-dimensional space and our experience of space um sound is is an enormous part of that you know even if we think about you know echolocation or you know the ability to sort of tell where we are in space it's a huge deal but then if we think about making so making new kinds of spaces then the way we deal with sound in those new kinds of spaces has all sorts of interesting opportunities so we explored a bit of that let's, yeah let's so i'm going to back up a bit because i skipped your sound story and your music story so what was the music element that then folded into that oh well so yeah that's that's probably what that was probably the first big jump for me to, to move from, so in architecture, 
again, I'd, I'd gone through architecture and I was kind of ready to be an architect and do the whole thing and stuff. And then I went out and worked for a while as an architect and discovered that I didn't really enjoy what the work was, um, mm -hmm. particularly mm -hmm. in the kind of late, early 90s, right? So in the early 90s in Australia, we had a recession and um, A, you didn't get paid very much. B, there was insane hierarchies inside the 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 sort of the field um and above all of that you were just doing this work that didn't seem to be adding anything to the the lives of people who were going to experience it so i didn't realize it back then but it wasn't for me and that's what i now realize it was yeah so music was this other thing that i'd always loved and um you know playing in bands and stuff like that there's there's also a quite a tradition i've noticed in architecture students then forming bands at least in australia there's a quite a, a long tradition of that so there's something interesting about sort of time-based media i think and sort of the experience of of music over time so that I, so mm -hmm. the the cliff i jumped off was moving from brisbane to um melbourne and i have this conceptual mapping of the big cities on the east coast of australia uh and it maps over to most sort of conceptual mapping of the cities on the west coast of the US. So I kind of think of the this trio of Melbourne, Sydney, and Brisbane as sort of like San Francisco, LA, and San Diego, right? And mm. and so it's kind of like I've moved from San Diego to, to San Francisco. Um, it obviously wasn't because it's Australia, but, you know. and But for us, like the whole idea was that Melbourne just had this live music scene. Um, you couldn't get a job anyway because it was the middle of a recession. It was just a, a nightmare. So, like, what the hell? You know, I was living with some interesting people. We moved down there. And um, and for about four years, four or five years, I was just sort of bumming around trying to, trying to kind of existing on not a lot, but, you know, in that underground music scene when it – started with guitars and ended with synths again. <laughs> yeah. So like uh pavement-ish kind of that sort of stuff come at the, the beginning through to outdoor dance parties and, and all of the sort of, we call them bush doofs here. You know, the, there's the, that whole bush, scene. Doof. Bush doofs. Yeah. Bush. So it's a doof, mm -hmm. like a doof, 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 doof in the bush oh okay <laughs> yeah and uh -huh. okay big you know a large scene there of of that whole sort of you know 90s electronic kind of stuff so moving through all of that there's this thread of kind of production and audio production that then when i started working into around 2000 and moved into the academy that was still sort of there and informed a lot of what i did you know because it it meant I was quite sort of digitally savvy as well um, because music often kind of gets into a, a technology before other fields because there's less bandwidth in audio than there is in video and all that sort of stuff, you know, and, and often you need to be kind of across the technology because the the interfaces aren't as intuitive on instruments, you know, and things like that. So, yeah, it was a lot of that kind of fed into having a deep musical sort of practice that sat there um and so the masters was 
on the one hand, this work that was looking at sonification and how we use uh, sound to help us sort of understand virtual spaces, but also then mm. how that might, um, how mm -hmm. you might sort of generate those kinds of sounds or create environments that almost had a life of their own um, and that took on a lot of sort of artificial life, uh, I suppose, principles here to get you, gener be very generative, yeah? Um, so the... the and, in, and in generative and intentional. Well, yeah, yeah. But I've, I've also often been interested in that intentional part because, um, again, it's this retrospect thing that you, you were talking about before, being able to see it backwards, that I think what I really like to do is jam with algorithms, right? Like... Ooh, I like that. The algorithms that we were playing with back then were fairly simplistic. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you don't need a whole lot of complexity in order to generate complexity. Um, and that's that systems sort of thinking sort of theme that now, fit, you know, fits into my current practice. The idea that, you know, you can generate complexity from very simple sets of rules. Um, and in fact, quite a, a limited palette of materials as well. We haven't talked about systems thinking much on this podcast. And that would be a rabbit hole all by itself for folks who are not familiar with systems thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want me to look a little? Touch it a bit. If you could go down that rabbit hole a bit for those who, I must admit that I had not, I feel really late to the game on systems thinking is I didn't walk in that door until 2008, 2007. Um, can you give a synopsis of what, how you were, how you look at systems thinking? I mean, it's really, I think, I think it's fascinating because a lot of the really interesting, well, a lot of the, the work that is quite famous has come from your part of the world there, you know, um, and the particularly, like Dana Meadows, D Danilla Meadows' work around how you sort of expand the literacy of systems. So let's back up a bit and think, okay, so systems thinking is a, is a way of looking at phenomena or the, the world that you're in, in the sense that of understanding it as a system. And so it's not that A then leads to B, which then leads to C. It's that A, B, and C are connected somehow. And when I do something at A, something happens with B and C, and they're not necessarily linear in those sort of relationships. And so the, the upshot is that it's a way of then thinking about how you might approach a situation such that you're not then taking a little bite out of it and trying to fix that because you know that if I change anything over here, it's going to change everything over there. And so you've, you've got to approach things very differently with this lens. Um, it, it's almost the opposite of more of a mechanistic or hierarchical exploration about the, I'm going to fix an organization. We really just need to put this product in place and then life will happen. Or we need to get rid of this population of employees that, that, organizations are much more complex and more biological in the kind of the metaphors. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, so, yeah, in terms of all 
org sort of design and organizational sort of change, then it feeds back into things like power, you know, and, and, and understanding or at least observing and putting into the mix. Where is power happening? How is power happening? Um, who's involved in this change and then who has a say in how the change is even conceptualised, let alone sort of taken forward and what decided upon what we're going to do. Um, and all of that sounds, you know, I know it sounds all very... Uh, like it tries to up, sort of upend power. But the, I think the interesting thing with systems thinking as a lens to approach all of this is that it's not about turning things upside down. It's it's almost like about turning them sideways. So you just look at them in a very different lens, okay? And all of the things that you see there, you know, they're actually true. You're just seeing different things because you're looking at them differently. And and so, so you you then were at R M R at R M I T that you had then gotten your PhD in communication design. Was that then with this lens, or was this with a different set of of threads you were pulling on life? Well, it's interesting. At that stage, at that stage, I started to do. I was working at a really different kind of level of Zoom on projects so the zoom like coming out not like the product <laughs> not like the product like sort of if again with systems <laughs> thinking, products yeah because there's of, also zoom products that are not yeah, zoom yeah, yeah 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 <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was being non-linear there sorry and no, i hit the mic if i if i um but if we think about the level of zoom that you're working at you know sometimes you've got to jump up and sort of see things that you know, and sometimes you're down in the weeds because that's where you need to be, or it's more fun as well. You know, um, and and so for the PhD, I was I was um, at that stage managing a program of um, research across the east coast of Australia, and and well, actually across Australia, across universities at different points in Australia, and we were looking at some particularly. Uh, multi-user environments and and collaboration within multi-user environments uh so this is 2000 sort of five to you know so it's around the time that you began to see things like facebook emerging and, and a lot of social networks kind of moving out of the idea of maybe this would work you know through into holy molly this is really going to work <laughs> <laughs> and, oh this network effect stuff we've been talking about it's now we're getting really large and uh, well and now we've got a space where we can actually measure that and oh my god you know because everyone's getting connected and there's a certain threshold that we've reached in terms of bandwidth etc and it'll just went boom right and so at that time i was really interested in uh interaction design and and that sort of it's that transition between sort of thinking about what it is you you're your product or service is trying to do and how you understand that. And then sort of down in the level of Zoom in terms of specifying what that then might do and how your product or service might behave. Yeah. Were you still doing art and were you still doing music? So you've been, these are all additive layers to the puzzle at the time. Yeah, I was, but not as much. I mean, it's, it's yeah because i was also doing this other creative 
pursuit as well of like you know family <laughs> and, and, and so you know fitting in there somewhere and you were doing something else um was it z-o-o-o what what is the zoo thing that you were doing let's have a look here where's where's so you're you're looking at the the diagram that i drew yeah. I'm looking at your at your beautiful personal art piece, which we are gonna keep overlaying in here for those of us who are who are seeing the visual. So you were you you were doing net dot art? Oh yeah. Okay. So that's so that's back in sort of before I started at the uni at the university. And that's like ninety late nineties. Yeah. It's fine. See, this is why it's interesting to have a visual way to story tell, but then we're only trying to capture your life in a half hour increment where you've lived a really complex life. So I'm going to actually take us to take us to a little more towards now because you've done so much stuff. And, and I take a look at it as as bringing superpowers to new spaces, but keeping the next piece of the puzzle, because um, uh, I, I'd love to talk for a little bit about. Um, being in higher ed and how that helped you thrive or not, and then where that then takes you to what you're what you're doing now. So higher education, yeah, superpower, <laughs> or or brought you a lens to take a look at things differently. I think so the thing that so higher ed's really interesting. It, I mean, it, I think it's it's without, without throwing anything under no, the no, bus. No, 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 because people may hear this. Yeah. <laughs> Higher ed has really, it's it's had a very difficult time of it over the last you know twenty years, and um, and that's that's the time I've been involved in it, right? So maybe there's a correlation. No, no, <laughs> but the me too. It's all it's all my fault. Yeah, yeah. In that in that twenty years, there's been like this insane change in the role of learning in our world. Yeah. Um, and, you know, partly it's the network thing and it's, you know, the, the internet and sort of access to information has approached, you know, zero cost of reproduction, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But the, the other thing then is, so what's the role of these organizations and, or these institutions or the platform that they have, you know, what is, what is it that they do and, and how do they deal with the pressures of scale in particular? Um, you know, because they exist inside the kind of economies that we're in. So, so sorry, I've gone a bit meta there, but the thing that the thing that really interested me with higher ed, and it took me a while to get there, because honestly, you know, I was, I think I just kind of got in under the, under the door as it was slamming shut. You know, um, it seems to be that seems also to be a bit of a theme in my life, Gigi. If I kind of can zoom back out to that just for a second. You know, I got a job in, mm -hmm. in web design, which I haven't actually put on this map, but, you know, because I knew what the word HTML means, you know, and I got a, you know, I got jobs in these things because I was kind of an early adopter of a lot of things. And so a lot of the fields before they professionalized and before they put up the walls, um, they were mm -hmm. easier to get into. Yeah. And for me in tertiary, you know, higher ed, it was like that too, you know. I know around the world it's it has quite a sort of high walls around it, but in Australia, particularly in at RMIT and those kinds of organisations that are 
they're not your traditional research universities. They were come, they came out of a very different um, idea about the university's relationship to society. Then they, um, it's more like, you know, sort of born from tech colleges and things like that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Then they, yeah, in the 2000s, I could get a job teaching technology there because I knew how to drive these tools. You know, and as I found myself mm-hmm. inside the, the, the place thinking about things, then a lot of the latent stuff that had come from my, you know, my mum's a teacher, my grandmother ran the English department at the teacher's college in one of the states here in Australia, you know. And so the there's a some sort of pedagogy sort of gene in there that was awoken. And so as I worked in this space, the thing that I – tried to bring to it is this, I suppose, way of thinking about what's next um, mm-hmm. and how can we bring the, how can we bring the sort of quality that you get when you work with someone who's really good at something, you know, because I'm working in the space of design. So often there's this sort of, uh, internship slash apprenticeship sort of model Mm -hmm. of pedagogy that overlays a lot of design and so how can you bring a lot of that into a into an environment that has kind of scaled itself out of that sort of space yeah Mm. so you know I, i tend to put it the no one's proven that a 700 person lecture hall makes any sense at all and yet that's that core element is gotten away from the sitting at someone's elbow or apprenticing walking into a company as we scale all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can, again, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about a story. So I finished high school. I just remembered this story. I'd forgotten it. Um, and my aunt got me a gig at the company that was doing the graphic design for her company and in Sydney. So I went down to Sydney and sort of stayed there for a month and um, did this work experience there. And they, they stuck me out the back with the oldest guy in, in the, the place. And he taught me how to kind of rule lines with a brush, you know, and, and the whole copy art thing and stuff like that. And it was just like, man, this is insanely cool. And, and, and so a lot of those kinds of experiences, you know, I noticed, there's just nothing approaching that in inside the the scaled version of of education that tertiary has become. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the yeah, if I in retrospect, I think a lot of the things that I was doing in the tertiary when I was there for about seventeen years or so were sort of trying to replicate or trying to find ways to bring that sort of experience to people um, and to that sort of environment. Because it's it's um there are so many forces that are creating and sort of creating the conditions that then that tertiary experience sort of grows into. And sorry, that sounds a bit fluffy, but the the idea that you know the economy, <laughs> the market, the competition, you know, the idea that this kind of career is better than that kind of career, all of these things, they're all forces that are kind of pulling these entities, you know, and saying, therefore you will produce something that creates, you know, 
this kind of experience and often it's not very deliberate you know often it's just sort of a the sum of all these forces creates this kind of experience that ex sort of emerges its way into whatever um, conditions and, and, and is kind of untested I mean, testing the students but not really testing the outcomes from the whole thing so and you got into the people business then so you weren't in you were the in the the stuff and things business in the space business in this in the sound experience the art business the html business but not but progressively getting into the people business, business. Yeah. but then if if you think about music and performance it's always the people business isn't it because it's like every mm -hmm. everything mm -hmm. is particularly um if you into performance you know like improvisational kind of thing it's the moment and it's the experience that you're making in the moment and for the people who are there and um so for instance you know back in those bush doof sort of days i wasn't at that end of the field with the the bang and techno i was actually at the other end of the field in the tp with the chill in the chill zone creating these kind of you know, with all of my friends making these long, you know, four, eight hour sets that, you know, would, would um, be a, an experience, you know, that you could hang out in and that were, you know, yeah, interesting spaces to be in. Actually, that's reminded me of another piece that we did in Brisbane with a, a friend on the 9th of the 9th, 99. I, I just pulled it out the other day. Um, we did a, a thing called Drone 9 where we did a, a nine hour drone at that period. <laughs> In, as a performance to kind of save the world wow because we knew that something had needed to happen at that point in time because all the computers were definitely going to die etc <laughs> etc et you know <laughs> so you take all those puzzle pieces and and again we're going to share in the show notes that really interesting uh graphic goes with a lot of this stuff and you ended up then where you are now which seems to be a a threading of a lot of this together into really sort of rethinking how to change organizations and human experiences. How, how does that, how do you deliver that now? And where's your headspace? Cause in mm. many ways you are with meld dealing with design, dealing with yep. art, dealing with experience, dealing with transformation through design and systems change. Yeah. There's been a is, bit of a bifurcation this... here, though, for me, though. Sorry, Gigi. I'll... Oh, no, please. Is, what was your question? Because I'll, I'll hold that in there. What, what, what are you thinking? Well, where does this take your head and heart space now in the work you're doing? Yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, okay, for me, what I've found is I need to bifurcate a bit. And so, therefore, the, the kind of this, the stuff that I make, right, and the things that I make that they have no practical use. Yeah. But they're the most important for my feeding my heart and my, you know, my, myself. And then there's the work that I do with meld and that has a very practical and pragmatic use, you know, like, um, to be honest, the, the, the frame that we're really coming at there is that this next decade, is the one that we need to really get our, you know, collective stuff together. And, and if we can work in it in, at the organizational level on that, 
they're big levers that can create great change. So that's that's happening over there, and increasingly that's kind of growing and feeding another part of me that is that draws on these creative sort of endeavors. You know, like so I'm still making music, I'm still kind of doing stuff over here, but it doesn't have a practical impact yet on any of the projects. But what it does is it kind of it's almost like a sorbet, yeah, between between sort of courses in a meal that I just kind of need to go over there to clear my head and and a palate cleanser, an amuse bouche, a little a taster. Yeah, 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 exactly right. See, for me, sorbet is at the end after I've had a big meal, then I like I'm having dessert. So that uh-huh. don't mean to make fluffy out of what you said because I think what you've said is really important that that you really in many ways i mean this is this is the time of great change and a lot of organizations are not ready as they could be to be able to step into the space or that people or some people are ready to step into the space i mean are you working largely with organizations who are chomping at the bit for great change or is part of it to really help people see that it's time Oh, well, both, definitely. Um, like all organisations are as ready as they are. And 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 so our, again, this is that systems sort of lens, I think, that helps. So if we can sort of subvert even the notion of hierarchy or, you know, good and bad and just think we're on different, you know, different parts of a journey you know it's not about if it's it's really about when and um we do the increasingly we're having our biggest conversations inside the business are about do we do do we work with this group or or, or not um because you know is the is the willingness for change authentic and real and can it be demonstrated and do we think that our excuse me our our time is well spent there because it's an opportunity cost as well you know spending time with Mm -hmm. this group means you're not spending time with that group but i I did hear it described really well by one of my one of our competitors but you know also good friends in in the space and it's like do you work for so we've got a, a company in in melbourne called keep cup and they have have been really at that sort of vanguard of bringing in awareness of um they make cups that you keep yeah but they're for takeaway yeah that kind of thing do great stuff they're just amazing company you know lots of really they get it they got it you know a decade ago and they've been getting it ever since you know and you think okay well do you work if you had a choice to work for keep cup or you had a choice to work for you know evil corp who don't get it and who haven't demonstrated that they've got it yet who do you choose to work for and it's not an easy decision i think because you know this is this is fun you know keep cup and or the 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 group that have got it is fun and they kind of get it and they feed your soul and you know you're doing good work with good people and the work with evil corp is not fun and it's hard and it drains Yeah. yeah the energy but it's like if we are to transition to the kind of world that we need to be in the next decade, then 
Evil Corp needs to change, and Evil Corp needs to be kind of either gone or have become not evil and loved. Yeah, and so there's something, something in that that for me that's our that's our big trend sort of challenge at the moment. And so sometimes I need to kind of use the creative work to just kind of refill the tank. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> yeah. the work the work that you do it's not always easy and 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 fun, but I'm I'm just I'm very lucky that I I think that I feel confident and capable to be able to do that kind of work, and that I now have opportunities to do that work. Yeah, um, and the creativity work is something as well that I don't want the fire to go out. Yeah, um, if I think about this, this reminds me a bit of yoga, right? Like, so I have this on again, off again relationship with yoga for the last. 30 years or so and so the thing being that anytime i go back to it after i haven't been back to it for a while it takes me about a month to get the fire started again before but for it's me it's for the pain it. to stop but yeah <laughs> before it does the work before the before it's kind of it can stoke itself and keep itself going yeah um to a certain mm -hmm. degree and and so for me being making stuff is it's as important to keep those muscles kind of, you know, there um, and, and exercised. And I think they have a, a response, right? Because they kind of, they bring in all of these other ways of being, and they even just bring in, you know, the fact that you've got enough energy to be joyful in a moment that needs joy uh, in these other kind of contexts, because that's the thing that brings a difference in perspective and all of those sorts of things. So for me, that's, that's, Again, I think that's what I'm doing. <laughs> and it's again know. sense making backwards, right? This is how this yeah, this yeah, is yeah, how yeah. this works for me. Yeah. We've I covered so much ground and I would love to have you back on because we could probably talk for another hour at I know, least. Sorry, I can just wrapping up this segment. Oh no, me too. This is and I do think that we're kind of twins in a different continent. Um so what have we not talked about you want to close with? Anything we haven't mentioned that you'd want to have as a passing comment to wrap up? Oh, my goodness. Um, I like it. So, yeah, the thing that I'm thinking about here, and it's the thing that you, you've you mentioned, this sort of making sense backwards. Uh, so uh, there's two things I would like to talk about there, and they'll be fast. Um, one is that as we move into a knowledge-based economy right it is hilarious and ironic that we make less and less time for thinking and and i think mm -hmm. that's something to kind of really sort of ponder on and, and think about um and that can be thinking that happens in your brain but it can also be thinking that happens in your fingers yeah um and the other thing is that it really reminds me of that fabulous kind of story that you see as a theme through lots of first nations is that you know cultures is that we really, we walk backwards into the world, you know, into the future. Uh, we can only, uh, you know, our perceptions are only really able to kind of look behind us and see what we've done, but we're always walking backwards into that future. And and it kind of brings a certain sense of humility, I think, but also a, a, like there are all sorts of interesting surprises waiting for us there <laughs> as well. And, and um, the ability to, I suppose, be prepared for those surprises, um, to me, is one of the things I really am 
sort of hoping to keep alive while I do things. Excellent. We're going to be launching a new podcast tentatively called Near Futures that I would love to continue this thread on oh, wow. because you're very much future building with what you're up to. And we're seeing so many people who are working to collaboratively build and awaken um, that I would love to have you as one of the first guests on that. Oh, wow. Can I, and, can um, I introduce you to a bunch of people who work in Near Futures that I'd just love you to meet? Yeah. Absolutely. And also welcome people who listen to this show who would like to do the same because there's, um, we're seeing a lot of work where futures are being artificially sold to people is what the sense of potential is. And we're seeing that there's great work being done in the world that isn't being seen. And so trying to bring those two things into the same conversation. Um, and I keep hearing about the Jetsons five times this week as people are using that as a metaphor to talk about the future. And I do think that there's other ways to talk about it. Jeremy, it's been great having you on the show. If people would like to reach out to you, what do you need and how would you like them to reach out? What do I need? Um, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm happy for people to reach out. Like, you know, I'm, Twitter is good, uh, probably. Showing my age there, uh, <laughs> and we'll and we'll put your your links in the, in the show notes, notes so yeah, people just, can just, get a hold of you. Hit me up on Twitter, say hi. Um, that's probably the fastest and easiest way to say good day. Yeah, we will, we will help people say good day. So, um, Jeremy's talking for my future and uh, talking from tomorrow. And everyone, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's great to speak.
Thanks for listening to Creative Innovators. We are expanding our footprint. So we invite you to go to creativeinnovatorspodcast.com and find us on Substack, where we are creating a new matrix of our past shows that you can find them more easily and find them along with the Career Adventure Guide content, where you can take your own career and use some of the tools in the setup to both be inspired by past episodes of Creative Innovators, as well as become a bigger and better creative innovator yourself. We're also launching in a couple of other platforms this year. So stay tuned and join our lists and and find out where else you can find and combine with creative innovators in 2024.